0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW.
1: There are no limits
2: to the imagination, and man's ability to make reality out of his visions is his greatest strength. Through this skill, he has been able to conquer time and space. The year is 2001. Life has changed now, the planet earth is no longer racked by wars and threats of annihilation. Man has learned to live with himself. The United Nations is the sole governing body of the world and the great hunger now is for knowledge.
1: Good morning, London. It's Thursday, September or September, February 19th, 2015. I'm Bob Metz. I think I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. We'll be with you from now till noon. It's not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be. Okay, our opener today was from a 1950 sci-fi classic, Journey to the Seventh Planet, and its vision for the year 2001 was certainly one shared by perhaps even most people living in the West. And, you know, a, a world no longer racked by wars and threats of annihilation, man has learned to live with himself. Well, it's true, man's ability to make a reality out of his visions is his greatest strength, as, as they said in the clip. But what if those visions are dark visions, not motivated by peace and prosperity, but by chaos and poverty? In the world of the 1950s, for almost everyone living in North America, such a possibility was simply not even considered. But even in times of conflict or war, the great hunger now is for knowledge, and to help us enlighten, get enlightened on something that fills the pages of our newspapers daily. You know, the atrocities from burning victims alive to mass beheadings, all purported to be in the name of Islam. We are delighted to be joined again by UWO um, Professor of Political Science here at Western University, Salim Mansour. Welcome to the show, Salim.
3: Thank you, uh, Bob
1: and i know you've been a guest on our show many times you last appeared at the end of uh, just the end of september here that m- m- might be why i was thinking of that month <laughs> and y- and you've told me that a lot has even changed since since that time
3: in terms of the world situation and you wanted to bring us up to date a bit on it Well, the world situation, if you're referring to what's happening in the Middle East and the greater Arab Muslim world, the situation gets more and more serious, more and more aggravated, more and more uh, demanding for us to have a more coherent understanding of what is happening if we in any way want to deal with those issues.
1: Now, you just gave a presentation um, to the hearing, you gave a, a hearing at the House of Standing Committee on Foreign Affairs and International Development just this past February third, which was last Correct. week. Correct. And I got the impression from what you said to them at that it, that situation is that you support some of what they're doing, but they're not going far enough. Or, or, in in your own words, you said realism demands a more forthright assessment. Uh, not only of the mission, but beyond it, of the manner in which Canada has evaluated the nature, capacity, and objectives of radical Islam. What are they getting wrong in your eye, in in the way you look at it? Clearly you think there's something they're not seeing.
3: Well, thank you, Bob. I mean, uh, yeah, I was there uh, about ten days ago Mm. um, in Ottawa for the uh, parliamentary hearing that is going on uh, related to a number of issues. One is uh, the bill... C51 that that is now, right now, being debated and going into committee hearing uh, about uh, Canada's commitment under uh, coalition-led forces uh, uh, in Iraq uh, in dealing with ISIL, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. Uh, our contribution, uh, which started off in October of last year, October 24, and is to run for six months. It's called Operation Impact. We have a squadron of CF-18 that has gone into action, and our forces, the uh, ground troops, have also uh, been in some firefight. And, and And the hearing is about what, what happens next, uh, w- should it be renewed, and so on and so forth. My contribution, if there is a contribution, was to point out that what we have been doing as Canada and as part of the Western Alliance led by the United States Ever since 9 11 has lacked a coherent understanding of what is happening in the Arab Muslim world. Perhaps you know,
0: because it's led by the United States? Uh,
3: well, I mean, uh, it. The problem is all around. I mean, the United States went into action uh, after 9-11, uh, again, in response to a very narrowly defined issue, as you know, President Bush at that time said, war on terrorism.
0: I think my comment is more directed at the fact that Obama, as a president, has been uh, dismal in his assessment of what's going on over there, um, refusing to, to, to name the uh, combatants as being Muslim, uh... Fighting in the name of what they consider to be Islam, and uh, one of his spokesmen just came out the other day saying that what these people really need are jobs.
3: You're right, Bob. But it is not only Obama. Obama, of course, is the president of the uh, the greatest power uh, on the western side, the superpower, maybe the lone superpower. So, you know, he gets. And quite rightly, he gets the focus on this issue. But it is right across, that's my point, is right across the Western world. There's no prime minister or no president or no government has come out clearly and stated this problem is directly related with certain issues that are happening of a historic nature in the Arab Muslim world. Nobody has said that. Nobody is wanting to talk about it. But that's precisely what I would mean, that there is no coherent understanding. This is a grand historical transition or transformation taking place in the Middle East. Uh, long uh, uh, pending, you might say, uh, that has erupted in our time that we are watching it. You know, We just happen to be living in this time. You know, So we need to have historical imaginations to draw a coherent understanding of what is happening. The long and the short of it is, and we can discuss this, the analog for understanding what's happening in the Middle East is the great transition of Europe. Uh, from Renaissance, Reformation, Counter-Reformation, to the wars uh, that carried on for several centuries. You know, where you want to pin the date. It was not one event in one generation. It was an intergenerational thing. It started off somewhere, you know, in the 15th century, gathered steam. I pointed out to the parliamentarians uh, on on the Hill as we discussed this matter. I said, you know, this... This year, 2015, is the 800th anniversary of Magna Carta. Mm -hmm. It has taken a long time. It is, again, to take an example, you know, to turn grape juice, vinegar, into high burgundy takes a long time. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't happen in one season. And to say that, you know, we're going to go and plant democracy in Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia was an absurd proposition.
1: I I felt that from the beginning.
3: (laughs) And are we at war
1: Canada. Would w- you say w- we're at war? Because I, I find it odd that they're even holding parliamentary hearings on a subject like this. Is is going to war the kind of thing a government calls its citizens in and asks their opinion on? I, uh, I,
3: I wish, Bob, uh, you know, what the two of you do, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you, you invite me as a guest and I'm really privileged to be a guest, but let me take a moment yeah. for your audience. What the two of you do uh, out of this program is the sort of discussion that is should happen across the country in a far bigger format of the sort of discussion of historical and philosophical and cultural nature to understand we are not only on this issue but on many other issues and we are lacking that you see we're not at war it is a joke. We send in 69. If, if he said that, mm. if, if Thomas Mulcair or Justin Trudeau said that we are at war, we send in 69 JTF 2 people to train the Iraqis or the Kurds. Is that we're going to war?
0: I mentioned this to <coughs> Bob the other day. During World War II, Canada put a million soldiers. And, and in
3: uniform, a million, a million, and we just had Canada, and we had the fourth, lo- fourth, or the third largest navy in the world.
0: That's right. And now, what we are doing is Bill C fifty one came to the floor. That's at that second reading now. The pretext was the shooting of the um, the soldier at the memorial in Ottawa, and the shooting of the, uh, um, yeah, the soldiers in Quebec. In Quebec. Yeah. And so, three dead, and the, uh, the conspiracy of those Toronto eighteen or whatever they were. Um, those pale in comparison to the threat of a second world war ab- uh, with Canada.
3: Oh, we've not threat. We participated in it.
0: Right? No, I'm saying that the threat to Canada today seems pale compared to the threat of Nazi Germany and um, and, and, and um, Tokyo at the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why we're going into this. Well, this having is this bill which yeah. curtails to some t- t- mm-hmm. degree. Uh, some of our freedoms that we had in the Magna Carta,
3: or or
0: versions of that,
3: on what pretext? Not war. Well, this is a different type of war. I mean, you know, we are always captivated uh, by the images of the previous engagement that is going on. We, 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 you know, it is, as, as, as it is said about the military, about the generals, that they're always fighting the last war. So, you know, we are fixated, and, and, and you raise the issue of Second World War, but, but the nature of war and the nature of conflicts have changed because we are living in a different type of world. What we are dealing with today uh, is a, a situation in the Middle East which has implications for Europe, for North America True. because we are living in a globalized world we are True. living in a world of instant communication our transportation system has changed you know the world has shrunk and so we need to find ways and means and tools with which we protect our interests but there is a war going on that war has not dragged Canada into it or if you say it was dragged into it that was in Afghanistan we were a participant in 14 years mm-hmm. but As a country, we were not dragged in. We sent in our soldiers, we sent in our, you know, our air force, Mm -hmm. but as a country, we were not dragged in as we were dragged in in the Second World War. That's exactly, the nature has changed. In the Vietnam War, America lost 50,000 troops. It was fought over for about, you know, from... 64, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, till 74 when the last Americans left Saigon. You know, 10-year period, 50,000. But all of America was not involved in it, as was... The war was fought on the television screen, yes. you know, and in, and, and in campuses. And, and, and that's, again, a, a different thing. So we have to understand what's happening in the Arab Middle East. I come back to that, and I come back to that because we need to have a response that is not only proportionate and adequate and rational, that explains the problem for them and for us. And that's where I raised the question in the Parliament that you know, 800th anniversary of uh, Magna Carta in two years' time, when we celebrate the 150th anniversary of, of Canada's independence, we will be marking also the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther pinning the 95 Thesis in the church at Wittenberg, which if you want to date it, was one aspect that triggered the several-century-long Reformation, counter-Reformation war, you know, through revolutions, through French Revolution, through guillotines, through terror, you know, all the way up to maybe, you know, the 20th century, the World War I that, you know, brought about a disaster. We are watching in slow motion exactly what we have forgotten that we went through in the transition from the medieval to the modern from the ancient to the modern. It was a a war and a transition, which was not only people and armies engaging, but ideas, theology, theological debates, you know, uh, and a complete transformation of what was Christendom, in the period before 1500, which was Holy Roman Empire, the power of the Vatican, to after the end of the thing, a secular, modern, liberal West. That's what we're going through It And so how do we deal with that? My argument is we cannot send in, you know, one squadron of planes and 69 soldiers. We have to do, take a page from, as I pointed out, at the end of the Second World War, when we realized we were confronting when Churchill came to Fulton, Missouri in 1946 and said a iron curtain has descended from the Baltics to the Balkans, you know, we were confronting the mass armies of the Soviet Union at the heart of Europe and a global ideology that is Bolshevism threatening around the world, George Kennan produced the theory of containment or the policy of uh, containment which was adopted by the Truman administration in 1946-47 and for the next 50 years Republicans and Democrats and the Western Alliance stood behind that policy it may have had leakage here leakage there debates here debates there but the architecture of containment was there to contain the Soviet Union and the communist expansion till it collapsed and it collapsed we need to have a similar containment policy that the Arab Muslim world is going through this transition you go through the transition we will not be affected by it we need to withdraw we need to build a, a wall between us the metaphorical wall and then let them fight it out because this is the historical fight that is taking place. Are you saying that we shouldn't be over there with our JDF forces? I don't think we can do anything about it. What are we doing with 69 people there and a <laughs> CF-18? And and take Bob uh, Robert f- from 9-11. We had a regime chain in, in Iraq. We, we went in and, and, and had a regime chain in Afghanistan. In effect, we turned the apple cart of those regimes and, and we expended blood and treasure did we contain the problem no the problem has grown even bigger there was no uh, uh, al qaeda and isis on the ground as a nutshell of a state today there is isis as is a state in formation it has spread its 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 arms right across north africa it is threatening europe from
1: well that seems to speak to the argument that that it's not containable maybe we can't just simply put a wall up between us especially in the day of the internet when when the information is flowing all over the place and now we're having homegrown terrorism and issues of that nature. I want to take this up with you further. We're going to take our first quick break and we'll be back in two minutes to carry on this conversation right after this.
2: Wow, this place is really cool, Mahmood. It's like ear-bloodening sounds had sex with nose-bloodening smells, and this is their baby.
4: I am glad you are enjoying yourself. Would you like some of my meat fushnush? It's a chicken that has been yelled at for two hours and then run over by a Mercedes. Mm. Mm. Oh, you can really taste the fear in the chicken. You know, Peter, a lot of people are not as accepting of Muslim culture as you are.
2: Well, I think everything about it is the best, like this hookah. I mean, who doesn't want to sit around the table with a bunch of guys and suck on the same thing? Hmm, it's like smoking my grandfather's jacket. Man, I wish I could stay here all night, Mahmood. But I'm supposed to pick up the dry cleaner before it closes.
4: I killed a mouse with my tie. Nonsense. I'll have my wife pick it up for you. What? She'd do that? Oh, absolutely. I need you to run an errand for my friend, Peter. Of course. Anything for you, husband. That was amazing! She just listened to everything you said. Of course she listened. In Muslim culture, wives are much more obedient.
2: No way, that's awesome. So wait, let me get this straight. Sweet hat, obedient wife, and I get to shout, Admiral Akbar, when I do stuff, you, sir, have got yourself a Muslim. Where are you going, and why are you dressed like that? Well, Lois, I happen to be a Muslim now, which means I'll be spending a lot of my time in mostly empty cafes, watching soccer on an eight-inch black-and-white TV. Yes, the team I like is kicking it. Oh, no, the team I don't like is kicking it. Yes, the team I like is kicking it again. I will celebrate with finger symbols.
4: Peter, this is my friend Omar. He can teach you many things about our faith, including how to ululate. What's that? It's this.
2: Oh my God, that's terrifying! I don't know if I'm ready for that.
4: No, Peter, it's okay.
2: Just sing the beginning of La Bamba, but don't say the La Bamba part. Oh, okay. La 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 la. Yes, good job. La, you're la, doing it. La Bamba. Ooh, so close.
1: <laughs> and that was from, of course, uh, Family Guy. You know, this just in the past week, Candace Malcolm has gotten a lot of attention out of the Toronto Sun, saying that we need to fight this war on a broader level. You were talking; we were just talking before the break about how. Um you know, can we actually contain it? We have the internet now. And she argues that we you know, we may be winning the war on the physical front, which I'm not sure I've even heard that that's true, but she says we have to win the digital war on the World Wide Web as well. Is that part of what you're talking about too, or is it even a broader thing than that? Well,
3: I mean it, it's all of that and, and innovating and understanding what the issue is. When whoever says that, you know, we are not winning the war and we have to do more or less We have to ask what do they mean by winning the war and what are you going to do who is we is the West going to win this war my point is it is not West is going to win this war this war will be fought by the Muslims by the Arabs between different groups of people with different theocratic conviction one side wanting to take their understanding of the reform back to the 7th century, the other side wanting to come to terms with modernity and everything in between. And this is the historic fight. The Chinese civilization or the Indian civilization or the Islamic civilization that were the proximate the civilization at the time of Europe were not intervening in Europe. From the English Channel to the, you know, Ural Mountains, the Europeans were engaged in this 500-year struggle. It was for the Europeans to settle it. That is for the Christendom to settle it. No Muslims or the Indians or the Chinese could have gone and said, you know, this is going to be your theology of understanding whether Mary is mother of God or whether, you know, Jesus is son of God and so on and so forth. It is not for the president of the United States or the prime minister of Canada or for the Canadian people to go and tell the Muslims in Pakistan and Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia how to read and understand the Quran. This is their fight. I think that's what is missing in this argument. So what we have to do is to the containment is that that conflict remain in that part of the world and doesn't spill over to our part of the world as has happened on 9-11. Now, um,
0: Obama did exactly what you said that nobody should be doing because just yesterday he came out and said that these people do not represent Islam. These these people, we don't identify them as Muslims, we identify them simply as terrorists, and yet they are followed by millions who actually agree that this is the correct interpretation of the Quran and this is Islam. And they are all Muslims. And and exactly
3: that's the point, Bob. Martin Luther was his correct interpretation of the Bible that went back to the pre-Vatican understanding of the Bible. And the people who fought for the Catholic Church, theirs was the critical understanding that the revelation has to be understood through the Vatican. Who are we, whether it's Obama or Harper or you, Bob or, or, or Robert or me, sitting here in London to tell whose is the correct interpretation? This I, is I, I, the I, historical I battle that will be fought out. That's I, the I don't point. even
1: see it about being about religion, I see it about being governance. And whether uh, these religions are or are not compatible with good governance is the real issue. And as long as people, um, you know, c- have beliefs that when applied to the real world of governance, constantly end up in chaos and, 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 and death Bob, and destruction. that's exactly the problem. Because I, I, I don't you, you, see religion yeah, but, per se. But, but you
3: don't see it because you look at it through your lens and you're looking at 2015 and say this is a natural condition of good governance in Canada and it should be there in Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan. It is your lens. But 2015 has been arrived at through a century-long struggle. I I reminded yesterday, I I reminded yesterday I reminded yesterday on a CBC debate that you know, those people who are jumping down on Bill C-51 and saying this is a dreadful fascist move by the government that is taking place and should be thrown, I reminded them, only 45 years ago, the very people who are yelling and screaming, their prime minister one person was killed in Quebec, in Montreal, Pierre Laporte, one person was kidnapped John Cross, and the Government brought down War Measures Act, suspended Mm -hmm. the Constitution, and then when the Prime Minister was asked what else he will do, he said, "Just Just watch watch me." me. You know, is is Bill C fifty one a War Measures Act? You see, we always live and see the thing through our own experiences. Good governance. Let's move out. Where did our good governments come from? It was a long struggle. 800 years of example. jurisprudence is exactly. what where it came from. It was, it was, a, it was a long struggle. <laughs> and,
1: and then so isn't that sort of once we discover that... It's like a scientist discovering the right answer on a principle that applies to some scientific discovery. And shouldn't he share that with other people who are going in the completely wrong direction? Absolutely,
3: but that's where the difference is. I mean, it's an old argument. It mm-hmm. goes back to C.P. Snow, two cultures. There's a the culture of science, no, and there's a the culture that is po- which is politics, which is history. Right. And, and you can't transmit the one from the other. Once the Arabic numeral was brought into Europe, and, 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 and zero had been discovered by the Indians and transported through the Arabs to Europe, that was mathematics. The, the merits of an Arabic numeral system trumped the Italian or Roman numeral system. Mm-hmm. Nobody was going to go back to do mathematics with no Roman numeral system. But kind, of history, ca- kind of hard to carry the one. <laughs> whatever it is. But the point is, Bob, you know, you don't. I mean, that's that's where the frustration of history and political science and sociology and culture is. People have to relearn the thing over and over and over again. i, I give you a, a, another example. Example: The 20th century uh, was not only the Bolshevik Revolution, it was the Chinese Revolution. It was an entire civilization that struggled to come to terms in their own way with modernity. It was spread out over a century. And the Chinese Revolution had a huge cost. Over a hundred million people were killed. Mao Zedong himself is responsible for 70 million. Could the Americans, could the uh, Brits, could the Canadians have gone and stopped the Chinese Revolution?
1: No, and nor would it have been the wise thing to do.
3: Precisely, Uh, these are historical nature. These are of historical. The civil war that was fought out in America, could the Brits have come and stopped it? That That was the bloodiest industrial war that America fought 1861 to 65. Before the World War I, mm-hmm. over a million people died in the trenches of two slogging armies because the issues had to be settled. There's a question of good governance. The Constitution of 1789 had to be fought out in 1860s. The good government, everybody wants, but it wants it on their own term until the institutions emerge that people learn to live it. That's why I pointed out it took 800 years. We are celebrating Magna Carta. It's not a one-day shot. So what's happening in the Arab Muslim world, it's a long... Obama doesn't speak about that. Obama wants to, you know, not talk about Islam. What I'm talking about is Islam is in an upheaval. It's in a massive theocratic upheaval. Just as in Europe, there was an upheaval, and there was a massive theocratic upheaval. And, and good government was a part of it. John Locke was talking about representative government in the 16th, 17th century, mm-hmm. right? That was part of it, even as the Lutheran church was struggling, as even the counter-reformation was taking place.
0: So you're saying so, then what we should do is contain the Middle East, let them figure out for themselves, have their own reformation, fight it out, let them have their own reformation and
3: keep them at bay that's exactly happening it's happening right now I mean when Sisi is bombing the hell out of the Libyans who killed the Egyptian Coptics what are we doing if we had an understanding of containment we would say this is the fight that's going on that they have to if we have any choice in this manner we support who we believe are the good guys in so this it's, case Sisi but what we are doing we are all over the map
0: so it's quite okay for Abdullah II of Jordan to go in there and bomb ISIS but we should because that's in his
3: backyard Not only in the backyard, this is a struggle that they have to fight out. Mm -hmm. You see, this is the struggle that the people over there have to come to terms with. We cannot dictate. The moment we dictate, then the issues emerge of imperialism, colonialism, and all <laughs> yes, of that.
1: Yes, of course. Of that's, course. See, that's true. But I don't think the issue is walking right. in and dictating. The issue is, what do we do when when they walk out and do something to us? And then we become part of that conflict whether we want to and, or not. And, and, and The other difference, by the way, Salim, over, between what is today and what existed in Martin Luther King's time was that there was no Western society outside of Martin Luther King's society. You took the to, words out of my mouth. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Carry on then. <laughs> no, no, you, you are absolutely uh, right. right. That, so, so there was no, no better society
3: to compare it to. No, to, there to, were better societies. In relative term, the Islamic well, civilization was far more advanced than the 12th century, 13th century Europe. Mm-hmm. The Chinese civilization were far more advanced. So it's not that. The que- question is each were insular to itself. And and they were not going around. What we have now busybodies running around. As I was walking from the parking lot to here, I was saying we need more global warming. <laughs> you you have the UN guys want to stop that, as if they can stop the, 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 the way the sun operates, right? Yes, the irony so is, the, is there's people <laughs> saying this cold is the result of global <laughs> that, warming. That's right. So we have busybodies <laughs> running around. I mean, yeah. imagine that there was a unite. this is where the historical imagination. Imagine there was a United Nations at that time and them telling that that, you know you are violating the un declaration of human rights whether it's a luther whether it is the pope and so on and so forth whether it's a, the french revolution the guillotine you know you're wi- violating these things that they're going to interfere this is what is happening over now well, you know, the U.N. can pass all the resolution. It matters. Nobody is going to pay attention to The Taliban is not paying attention. ISIS is not going to pay attention. The Saudis are not going to pay attention. This is a historic fight. You're not going to stop the Boko Haram. Who's going to stop the Boko Haram? The Africans will stop it. They have to fight it. So we have to do But here's the flip side of it. You know, to have a successful containment policy... I'm not talking about and Churchill was not talking about building the China Wall because China Wall was a containment policy of that time. You build a wall to keep the barbarians out. What we are talking about also the flip side, which is what happened in the 1940s and 50s. The West was sure of what its values are. It had fought the World War II. It knew what its values were and they're going to defend it and they're going to defend it against Soviet communism. Today, we don't know. We have multiculturalism.
0: That apparently is one of That's the so-called values that they actually hold up. We're, we're, we're going to be holding up multiculturalism, and then they bring in all these people from precisely. Pakistan and Iran
3: precisely, and so, importing so con- their war. So containment means we have to reject those things. We have to go back. What is it that we represent? And I have been arguing that, as you know. Liberal democracy. What does liberal democracy mean? That's what we are. That's what we're going to defend. That's what Bill 51 is all about.
1: Well, we have another form of containment to deal with right now, and that's to go to the break at the bottom of the hour. And we'll be right back to carry on this conversation with Salim Mansour.
4: I have to say, Peter, I am impressed by how much you have committed yourself to Islam. Are you kidding? It's awesome. I even started wearing leather sandals with way too long
2: toenails. See how the big ones are getting yellow?
4: Ah, yes, very Muslim. Listen, Peter, some friends of mine and I are getting together tonight, and we wanted to invite you to join us. O M. A, I I am so there. Whose crappy van shall we take? Actually, we
2: are meeting here. Follow me. Oh, hey, you guys. Hey, is anyone going to object if I pick my nose with a dagger?
4: Mahmoud, who is this man? Why would you bring him here? Do not worry. This is Peter. He believes in our cause. How can you be sure? Give him the test. Who is better, Hulk Hogan or the Iron Sheik? Um, the Iron Sheik? Okay. He is one of us. I told you. Look at him. He's the perfect man to help us blow up the Kohog Bridge.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> ah!
2: Oh, my God! Everybody down! <laughs> so are these toys just, like, to take? Guys, what football team should I like? Mahmud says we all need to act like we're fans of American football, so we seem less... b but, b- 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 What? What are you talking about? I'm talking about Mahmud. You know, I actually feel really bad for him. you know he knew 19 guys who died on 9-11? I mean, what are the odds? Peter, I think you joined a terrorist sleeper cell. What? That's crazy! Look, I'm gonna call Mahmoud right now on this cell phone he gave me. He'll tell you. <laughs> Damn phone's busted. Maybe I dialed wrong. Peter, please stop trying to call Mahmood. This is very serious. Your friends are terrorists. Think about it. They're... They're meeting in secret, they're creating cover stories. Oh, my God, you're right! See, I told you Mahmood was bad news. Those guys are all bad news. Hang on there, Quagmire. Just because these few guys are terrorists doesn't mean all Muslims are. Every ethnic group has their nut jobs. We have the Unabomber, Timothy McVeigh, and even that fat guy at the Atlanta Olympics who didn't do it, but he looked mean. So we said he did. Joe, you don't get to talk about the regular Olympics. Well, I gotta go down here right now and tell Mahmood we can't be friends anymore. Wait a minute, Peter. This could actually be an opportunity. You're already in their group. They trust you. If you can find out what they're planning next, we might actually be able to stop an act of terror. You'd be a hero.
0: Well, I... I could try. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9, FM. <laughs> and uh, you can find all our shows on justrightmedia.org. We'd appreciate your feedback. Send it to us at feedback at org, And please, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're in studio with uh, Professor Salim uh, Mansour of University of Western Ontario. We're talking about the um, current situation of uh, um, ISIS and... Uh, terrorism in Canada. And Salim, I do have a, one question I want to ask you. Um, given the internet, and we talked about that er- earlier in the show, given the internet and the speed at which people can see the atrocities that people had over at ISIL, ISIS is, whatever you want to call them, the Islamic State, are perpetrating on Christians, on fellow Muslims, on uh, their neighbors, the absolute atrocities of immolating uh, that uh, Jordanian pilot in a cage, readily seen by uh, millions across the world. Is that changing public opinion here in Canada um, about our multicultural policy, knowing full well that we have Canadians going over there fighting for ISIS and we have ISIS people coming over here fomenting dissent and recruiting in this country? Are they finally seeing the light here in this country?
3: I believe so, uh, uh, Robert. I think uh, there is a shift taking place. Uh, The shift may be... Slower than some people would want, but it is a shift that is taking place, and there are evidences that we can point to. One of the evidences is uh, a very recent uh, issue of controversy or Uh, between uh, the group who stand for multicultural values and which our federal courts or justices have come down defending in the decision that was given on uh, this woman insisting that she wears her full face covering during the citizenship oath taking when one of the Requirements, the policy requirements, uh, directives of the Ministry of Citizenship and Immigration is that during the oath-taking ceremony, uh, no face covering should be uh, worn. You know, whether men wearing ski mask or women wearing whatever face covering, it should be removed. And uh, this woman insisting, and the judge have come down and and declared that the C.I.C. requirement is unlawful. And the response of that, uh, from at least the letter pages that we see people are writing in, that I think somewhere you know four to four to one the public opinion is against the judgment of the judge of the federal courts and against what we see is happening so yeah. there is a pushback we saw again in 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 quebec quebec that has been the most in a sense uh, uh embracing of these multicultural values the recent decision in montreal uh, application for building a mosque and a center by a group of people who talk about Islam and democracy not compatible, and finally, you know, the city hall and the mayor's office and others came down and rejected it on on on, on terms of zoning bylaws and whatever. A similar decision in Trois Rivieres. Uh, Recently or this week, where there was another rejection on the basis of zoning bylaws of people trying to build a mosque. So people have become apprehensive. People have become questioning what is happening. Uh, and I think that the public is running on in, on these issues ahead of the politician, that there is a disconnect between the public and the political elite. And
0: ahead of the judiciary, your um, press release from Muslims Facing Tomorrow, of which you were a founding member, says the decision by that judge to allow the niqab or the the face covering at uh, swearing oath ceremony, quote, "...this decision sets precedent for the argument that any imported custom by recently arrived immigrants, which runs counter to Canadian values such as bigamy, polygamy, female genital mutilation, pedophilia, child marriage, etc., are going to also be protected by this decision that it's okay because it's part of your religion."
3: precisely because the argument that the woman made or her lawyers made for her was that her uh, face covering was part of her religious belief that's false uh, and that's false but but that's what the argument mm-hmm. and the justices agreed and and so it was it is protected under paragraph 2 a uh, of the Charter, Canadian Charter, which is a reference to freedom of religion and freedom of conscience, and Section fifteen one, which is the equality uh, uh, of all, all before the law and under the law. Now, there's an the Indian equality rights. Right. So that's that's those were the two arguments. The third argument, the third reference ironically was not brought forward which is section 27 the multicultural right but i think it was not needed because it was protected under paragraph 2a freedom of religion and conscience so well if customs that people have and which may or may not be approved or mandated by religion but is not necessarily a tenet of the religion for instance female genital mutilation is not a tenet of islam
0: it's a cultural
3: thing. it's a cultural thing exactly uh, bigamy polygamy is not a tenet of islam it is a cultural thing that is not covered by sharia law that is islamic law now people are pushing sharia law and sharia adherence in the western world in canada in the united states in europe so Sharia law will protect this woman and say, yes, this is part of her. So are you trying to say then that this is
0: not a tidal wave of Islam? This is a tidal wave of Arab culture that's taking over.
3: Well, it is is very difficult uh, in a general sense to distinguish between culture and religion. But it has been done. Uh, If you have a moment, I'll point out this case. Ironically, the same week that our federal court said that this woman's wearing of the full face covering was part of her religious belief, the Indian Supreme Court on the same week came down with a decision, it was an appeal decision, and so this decision of the Supreme Court clarifies all such cases. The case was this Muslim man, appeal, lower court decision, that he was fired from his job. He was a government employee, on the basis that he had committed bigamy and that this was part of his religious belief system, the right to marry more than one wife, uh, that he and uh, that Islamic personal law, the Sharia law, permits him and that the Indian constitution pro- should protect it under the freedom of religion, freedom of conscience uh, clause. The justices came down and said that the freedom of religion, freedom of conscience clause Protects religious belief, but does not protect practices that may run counter to other protected values in the constitution. Well, that's a very enlightened decision. Precisely.
0: Why precisely.
3: can't we emulate that? Now, exactly. India is telling us how to do this. To me. <laughs> so, so bigamy would, would, is not protected, and, and in that way, the Muslim women were cheering for the Supreme Court decision. Mm. Because it empowers the
0: Muslim women. So what's wrong with our judiciary, our culture, that we cannot understand ex- that very basic premise that, yes, you can believe whatever you like, you can say whatever you like,
3: but when it comes to doing something, we're going to put the kibosh to that. Exactly. But but the problem is that while the Indian justices are not burdened with guilt consciousness of <laughs> imperialism and colonialism and all of that white man's guilt, our justices are far more acutely self conscious loathing in that sense yes. <laughs> you see whether it comes to dealing with the first nation whether it comes to dealing with colored people who are immigrants like myself they're going to bend backwards they're going to and and twist our liberal democratic values to accommodate and say okay other values because multiculturalism allows that all cultures are equal which is a balderdash all cultures are equal so That's what we were pointing out, that bigamy, polygamy, pedophilia, all are coming downstream and will be debated in our court system, and our lawyers will make good buck of money out of it, because they will say, well, this is part of their religious conviction, and so it should be protected under paragraph 2A of our Charter of Rights.
0: Now, you wanted to say something about uh, Charlie Ebdo. We're going to take a break here in a minute, but when we come back, if you want to tell us your take on uh, the Charlie Hebdo and the Copenhagen um, atrocities that happened just recently.
4: Okay, before we get started, I have an announcement from headquarters. No more shorts. And this isn't coming from me, this is management. This is about me, isn't it? They don't name names, they just say no more shorts. Okay? All right, this is our target, the Cohawk Bridge. We loaded the van with explosives, which we will drive to the bridge Wait a minute, explosives? Is this not improv class? No. Is... is this improv? Are you doing improv? No! Now get out that door! The real door! Uh, Yes, I have a question. When exactly are we doing the bombing? The attack will happen tomorrow during afternoon rush hour. And that's actually where you come in, Peter. In order to get past the checkpoint at the toll plaza, we will need an American behind the wheel to arouse the least amount of suspicion.
2: Sorry, can you repeat all that? I just had an itch right by my microphone. Microphone? He's wearing a wire. over up here! Please, Mahmood, don't do this!
4: It is too late. The job
2: must be done. Look, I know you're mad at our government, but you gotta realize that's only part of America. We're the land of the free and the home of the sunburnt, freckled fat guy. A place where Jenny McCarthy has a role in the debate over childhood vaccinations. A country where you can walk into any IHOP and see black women fighting. And where Ubu is considered a good dog, even though he never sat. We are the proud nation where someone can shoot up their entire workplace with a thing and then the next day nobody talks about banning that thing. It's the land that lets people on Twitter spell the word there any way they want and where if you think you can dance, that assertion will be challenged and evaluated. For we are America.
0: We're back. Um, So, Salim, I understand that you wrote an article recently about the Charlie Hebdo uh, shootings in France. Do you want to tell us about uh, your take on that?
3: Well, a couple of things that I want to highlight here. I mean, the debate will go on. I mean, was this uh, 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 about Islam, you know, and and about the people who killed, uh, did the massacre Charlie Hebdo. They claimed that they had avenged the prophet. I mean, and and so what does the Islamic theology say all about that? That's a debate that will go on, you know, and... and, uh, all Muslims are not agreed upon this. I certainly do not agree upon th- oh, 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 with the killers and uh, or with Ayatollah Khomeini, who started this ball rolling, you know, in seventy nine when or eighty nine when he gave the fatwa that uh, Salman Rushdie should be killed. Um, so that started the ball rolling. This is nothing new, and, and 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 number of people were actually killed over Salman Rushdie issue. His translator, his Japanese translators, were killed, and so on. But coming to this, I was this unaware of that. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah, but coming, coming to this issue it's very interesting that two days after the massacre uh, the president of France Fran- Francois Hollande went on national TV and talked about the issue and how this was uh, a terrible tragedy that had occurred and, and unacceptable and so on and so forth but then he said that this has nothing to do with Islam uh, and, and washed it off so this was multiculturalism as an action. What he didn't say would, would be the unstated c- conclusion of the argument of multiculturalism, that these killers who were Algerian, uh, two Algerian brothers, born in Paris, uh, of Algerian immigrants grown up in Paris and then you know these are the sleeper cells they went to Yemen they were recruited by Al Qaeda and then they came back so we have sleeper cells in the West we have fifth columns in the West and they were triggered by the command from their uh, leaders to go and do an operation of this nature and they did it so the the multicultural side of it was that this has nothing to do with Islam And what was unstated is, well, you know, these killers were possibly the product of the long, brutal French colonialism of (laughs) Algeria. Guilt again. Yeah, so that. On the other hand, the woman uh, who lost her lover, that is Stéphane Charbonnier, who was the editor of Charlie Hebdo and who used to sign off his cartoon as Charb, she also happens to be an Algerian Muslim woman. That was not known to too many people. Uh, I did not know that. Uh, uh, hmm? uh, 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 Jeanette Bougreb that's her name. The lover of Stephen Charbonnier and partner of Stephen Charbonnier, an Algerian woman, a Muslim woman of background, who, by the way, was a member of UMP, that is the party of Nicolas Sarkozy, that is the right wing coalition, and had served as a junior minister in Sarkozy's government, Minister of Youth and Employment. Uh, And Stephen Charbonnier, her lover, comes from the left of the French political spectrum. He was, you know, a Marxist, uh, uh, a communist. So again, you know, a free people, it didn't matter. They They were partners in life. She came out and she said that the people who killed Stéphane were barbarians. And that Stéphane represented the ideal of the French Republic, the ideal that was reflected in Voltaire. So here you have an irony. You have, you have the montage of a clash. The, the killers were Algerian men. The voice that spoke out in terms of reminding what Stephen represented, the ideal of French Republic, secularism, liberalism, openness, uh, in which, you know, part of it is, again, uh, satire, uh and that's also part of western history uh and it took a, a a a algerian woman a muslim woman to remind the french about that not the french president <laughs> you see we're going to have more of these things going on and so you see again we are in a mess as multiculturalism we are abandoning our own values and we cannot that is the west to speak out right and forthrightly, which is where the disconnect is between the elite in the society, in this case the French president, the French media and the common people the common people understood and I think the common people are waking up that their culture, their values are now under siege as a result of 50 years of multiculturalism or 40 years of multiculturalism.
0: part Part of the problem again is identifying those values because the universities in Canada, the United States, and Europe are not doing a good job, in my estimation, of instilling in students what exactly are the values of Western society. You know, what the positive nature of this, this, uh, this society, and I think they're feeding into the Islamic hordes, <laughs> to use another word, the Mongols, the, the uh, barbarians. They're feeding into that because of this guilt and this guilt is being um, inculcated in all of the students in the universities here. How, uh, you, li- you live and work in this university,
3: uh, Salim. Don't, do you, don't you feel that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have distorted the meaning of being a liberal. Mm-hmm. To be a liberal in the classical sense was to defend reason and to defend the individual. There are more progressives than liberals, that's a better word. That's right, because liberalism has been hijacked by Marxian thinking. So we've gone back to collective, we've gone back to class, we've gone back to culture. The individual seeks to liberate himself or herself from the collective values on the basis of her understanding, her rights, rights are individual. So here you have the case. The federal court judge came down, not distinguishing between religion and custom, giving her the blank check that we are protecting, religion that is the collective in this case which was not true if they if he had made the distinction like the indian supreme court has made that we respect religion that is your freedom of conscience to be whatever you are from atheists to Jehovah's Witness and anything in between, that's your choice. I think Zoroastrian would have been a better metaphor. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But but your custom when that that goes against the values of a liberal secular society, we are going to yeah. not not agree with it. And so here was it, you know, whatever is your religion, we protect you as a Muslim woman. But your custom in this case goes against the values of our society. You know, we're always we quick to along s- with it.
0: we're always quick to say that freedom of speech has has limits. The left, the progressives are always out there saying that freedom of speech has limits and yet we don't see the limits on freedom of religion. By the way, I, d- I don't buy in the argument that freedom of speech has, has limits except reality and libel and things like that but with freedom of religion it's not a right, it's a freedom to, to believe and to think, not to do harm to others.
3: Precisely that's Not the to be fraudulent that, 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 that There's the distinction between custom and religious belief the Islamic religious belief is simply about monotheism, the belief in one God, uh, and everything else are customary things that has been overlaid, and which is what happens. So then so, you
1: could, so if I were to ask you, is, can Islam be compatible with democracy, what would your answer be?
3: Oh, absolutely. The largest, the largest uh, Muslim country in the world, Indonesia, is uh, practicing democracy now. It went through its period of dictatorship and military dictatorship, but the transition has taken well, place. Well, I think that
0: that's probably the wrong question. Uh, oh. Democracy is overrated. What about the question, is Islam compatible with freedom?
3: Islam is completely, with capitalism. Compatible. It is completely compatible in the theological sense. People have to put those institutions in place. You know, the Sermon on the Mount was, is completely compatible with individual rights and individual freedom. But for 2,000 years, the followers of the Sermon on the Mount mounted a massive assault on the Jews. Ironically, Jesus himself was born of a Jewish mother. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I right. never understood so that. So here I was it a kid. is. Was
3: Jesus <laughs> against the Jews? But that's, you see, so this, these are very complex historical things that people have to come to terms with, you know. So, that, yeah, I mean, on, on, in essence, the, 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 the Quran says there can be no compulsion in religion. But do the Saudis believe that? Do the Taliban believe that? Do the ISIS believe that? So they they cherry pick whatever they believe to say. You know th- what they're doing is according to Quran.
0: Uh, we just a couple of minutes left. I would just ask you this one question. We just entered into a deal of selling arms to Saudi Arabia. Your thoughts on that?
3: But why are we selling arms? If it is simply a matter of trade, you know, this is something that we can do. We can sell. Uh, on, on a basis of our trade relationship. But
0: Saudi Arabia uh, uh, and the Wahhabi religion yeah. of Saudi Arabia is, is the
3: kernel around which all yes. of this problem is happening. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's, it is the kernel that goes back all the way to the problem with Franklin Roosevelt stopping over on his way back from Yalta in 1945 to sit and talk with the founder of the Saudi Arabia, King Abdulaziz Ibn Saud, and embracing him. So the embrace was so solid that when 9-11 happened and 14 of the 19 hijacker bombers that committed this assault on World Trade Center and Pentagon were Saudi citizens. And we did nothing to the Saudi citizens. So the we're Saudi selling Arabia.
0: arms to the country that is the ideological hotbed for ISIS and for Iran oh absolutely, and for this Islamic and,
3: and, and that's the confusion I mean we are no longer dependent on Saudi oil we are now got greater oil resource due to technological developments that has taken place and new discovery of oil and fracking and so on the North America has greater supply of oil than the Persian Gulf and yet we will not get the keystone pipeline to transport the oil <laughs> by, by a president of the United States that doesn't want to even talk about a Islamist who, terrorism by a president who bowed to the the Saudi king. Precisely. So this is where the problem lies. And I think, I think, I'm hopeful that the North American people and the Canadian people are waking up. I'm hopeful too. I'm hopeful too. Yeah. And on,
1: and on that note, Salim, thank you once again for making an hour fly by like five minutes, and uh, I guess that wraps up another show and we'll have to let it go for this week So, join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction Until then, be right, stay right do right, act right, think right and be right back here. See you then Fade into colour colour into black and white Under the clothes, everything will be
0: I was in Bombay, here's the trippy part. I was in Bombay two years ago, um, and I was there one month before the terror attacks happened. Remember the terror attacks that happened in
1: 2008? Uh, do you know about those, black guy? Not terror attacks, but the ones that happened to my people. Do you know about that?
0: You don't really, know. don't?
1: He's like, uh, what happened?
0: Here's what they, they, they seriously, they, they, there was a terror attack in India. It's not like 9-11. Now, here's the thing, 9-11 happened, it lasted 20 minutes. This terror attacks in India? three days. Only in India could that happen. It could end up like a cricket match. Three days. It's like, we shall continue this terror tomorrow.